Welcome to the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast. It is so good to be with you again. I'm so sorry for the time that's been separated between the last episodes. The Lord's been doing a mighty work and gave me the opportunity to preach a revival for a church in the state of Virginia. And we had a great time, had two individuals trust Christ as Savior. And it was a very busy week and I'm preparing for different things. And it's just been a very hectic time. And those of you in the ministry know what it's like to be busy. And the Lord's been blessing and do a mighty work, but I'm glad to be back, and I hope you're excited as well. To refresh your memory, we are dealing again with Satan's devices, what he does to keep you as a saint of God in a sad, doubting, questioning, or an uncomfortable condition. What devices he uses to keep you in that state. Now, on this episode, we're going to be dealing with the device that is so true And so prevalent, not only in my life, but if you're honest, it's probably true in yours. We're going to take a look at this from the book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks. And we're going to see how God can use truth to change us. We need to realize when truth really penetrates our heart, it always produces change. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. Why the sudden curiosity about your dad, huh? Mother, you can't avoid the subject forever. At least tell me what he was like. I want to talk to you about my mother. Well, what about your mother? Dad, I'm almost 12. How long do you expect me to buy that story that the stork dropped me on your doorstep? Everyone in the world believes they're unique in their own way. Annie James and Hallie Parker are about to discover... This is so freaky. They're both unique in the same way. That's my mom. That's my dad. And you and I are like like sisters. Hallie, we're like twins. I have a brilliant idea. I think we should switch places. I'll go back to London as you, and you go back to California as me. If we switch, they'll have to unstitch us. And when they do, they'll have to meet again face to face. Honey, you never looked better. Now, two sisters are setting the perfect trap. It seems like it's been forever. I have no idea. To bring their parents back together. This is an emergency. Dad's in love. What? Bring your shirt like this. I like it when I can see a little chest hair. It's disgusting. If there's any hope of getting mom and dad back together, we've got to do it fast. I am marrying your father in two weeks, and nothing you do is going to come between us. From the makers of Father of the Bride. Does everyone here know something I don't know? Yes. Dennis Quaid, Natasha Richardson, and introducing Lindsay Lohan. It's time for the quote of this episode. If I'm honest with you, this quote has penetrated my heart and has absolutely, if I'm honest with you, smacked me in the face, if I wanted to put it that way. Here's the quote from Adrian Rogers. There's enough time in every day to do everything that God wants you to do and to do it gracefully. 
It is an insult to God to say you don't have enough time. If you don't have enough time, you are doing something God did not intend for you to do. Let's read that again because every time I read it, I get penetrated and punctured in the heart over and over. There is enough time in every day to do everything that God wants you to do and to do it gracefully. It is an insult to God to say you don't have enough time. If you don't have enough time, you are doing something God did not intend for you to do. What a profound quote. You're listening to the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast. You've lost everything. I probably sucked more today than anyone in the history of Kung Fu. No matter how hard I tried, I was always the odd man out. I just want to be one of you guys. So fitting in wasn't really an option. I'm not the chief that you wanted me to be. And I'm not the peacekeeper I thought I was. It's a lot more to ogres than people think. What's in your life? Would you please just listen to me? There's no way I'm ever going to be like you. How loud do you become someone that great, that brave, that selfless? I've tried everything, and no one ever sees me. Now you're nothing. It was dark. It was cold. And I was scared. None of them believe in you. Why are you so evil? I was a coward. I was weak. Who am I to lead these people? No matter what side you're on, you're always the loser. You set me up to fail? Why? There's a benefit to losing. If you only do what you can do, you will never be more than you are now. You get to learn from your mistakes. I wasn't scared anymore. Your story may not have such a happy beginning, but that doesn't make you who you are. It is the rest of your story, who you choose to be. Don't make my mistake yet. Think for yourself. I do have a choice. I can be whatever I want to be. Nothing is impossible. You always said you'd become the strongest of them all. And he was right. Incredible power awaits you. Power beyond anything you can imagine. Lying? There were times I believed I could. You did it. You won. You, but I did it. Me. Welcome back to the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast. You have now heard examples on how things can be similar in your mind, yet in truth, they are different. That has much to do with device number five of Satan. Here's what he does. He suggests to you that the conflict which is in you is not a conflict that is only in saints, but the conflict is to be found in hypocrites and profane souls. When the truth is, there is as much difference between the conflict which is in them 
and that which is in wicked men, as there is between light and darkness, between heaven and hell. The devil is a liar and the father of lies. The devil's breasts are very fruitful with lies. And the truth of this, I will show you in a few things. Number one, the whole frame of a believer's soul is against sin. The understanding, the will, and the affections, all the powers and faculties of the soul are in arms against sin. If you want to know if your believer and saved in Christ is your entire frame against sin, all the powers and faculties of the soul are in arms against sin. A covetous man may condemn covetousness, and yet the frame and bent of his heart may be to it. A proud person may condemn pride, and yet the frame of his spirit may be to it. The drunkard may condemn drunkenness, and yet the frame of his spirit may be to it. A man may condemn stealing and lying, and yet the frame of his heart may be to it. You who preach a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say that you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? I, I, I like this. A saint's will is against sin. Paul says, the evil that I would not do, that I do. Now realize his affections are against it. What I hate, I do. It was a good saying of Augustine when he said this, Lord, deliver me from an evil man, myself. He complains that men do not tame their beasts in their own bosoms. Number two, a Christian conflicts against sin universally. The least as well as the greatest. The most profitable and the most pleasing sin as well as against those that are least pleasing and less profitable. I hate every false way, Psalm 119.104 says. The Hebrew word there signifies to hate with a deadly and irreconcilable hatred. He will combat with all sin, though he cannot conquer one as he should and as he desires. He knows that all sin strikes at God's holiness as well as his own happiness, at God's glory as well as his soul's comfort and peace. The Christian knows that all sin is hateful to God and that all sinners are traitors to the crown and dignity of the Lord Jesus. He looks upon one sin and sees that which threw down Noah, the most righteous man in the world. And he looks upon another sin, and sees that which cast down Abraham, the greatest believer in the world. He looks upon another sin, and sees that which threw down David, the best king in the world. He sees that one sin threw down Samson, the strongest man in the world, and another cast down Solomon, the wisest man in the world, and another Moses, the meekest man in the world. And another sin cast down Job, the most patient man in the world. This raises a holy indignation against all sin, so that nothing can satisfy and content his soul, but a destruction of all those lusts and vermin which vex and rack his righteous soul. It will not suffice a gracious soul to see justice done upon one sin, but he cries out for justice upon all sin. He would not have some crucified and others spared, but cries out, Lord, crucify them all, crucify them all. Oh, but now the conflict that is in wicked men is partial. They frown upon one sin and smile upon another. They strike at some sins, yet stroke others. They thrust some out of doors, but keep others close in their bosoms. As you may see in Jehu, Herod, 
Judas, Simon Magus, and Demas. Wicked men strike at gross sins, such as are not only against the law of God, but against the laws of nature and society. But they make nothing of less sins, as empty thoughts, idle words, sinful motions, and petty oaths. They fight against those sins that fight against their honor, that fight against their profits, and fight against their pleasures, but make truce with those sins which are as dear as right hands and right eyes to them. Number three, the conflict that is in a saint against sin is maintained by several arguments. By arguments drawn from the love of God, the honor of God, the sweetness and communion with God, and from the spiritual and heavenly blessings and privileges which are conferred upon them by God, and from arguments drawn from the blood of Christ, the glory of Christ, the eye of Christ, the kisses of Christ, and the intercession of Christ, and from arguments drawn from the indwelling of the Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, the witness of the Spirit, the comforts of the Spirit, though to be kept from sin brings comfort to us. Yet we oppose sin from spiritual and heavenly arguments, which brings most glory to God. Oh, but the conflict that is in wicked men is from low, carnal, and legal arguments drawn from the eye, ear, or hand of the creature, or drawn from shame, hell, and curses of the law. Number four, and hear me clearly on this one. The conflict that is in saints is a constant conflict. Though sin and grace were not born in the heart of a saint together, and though they shall not die together, yet, while a believer lives, they must fight each other. Paul had been fourteen years converted when he cried out, I have a law in my members rebelling against the law of my mind and leading me captive to the law of sin. A Christian lives fighting and dies fighting. He stands fighting and falls fighting with his spiritual weapons in his hands. It was an excellent saying of Eusebius. Our fathers overcame the torments of the flames. Let us overcome the fiery darts of vices. Consider that the pleasure and sweetness which follows victory over sin is a thousand times beyond that seeming sweetness that is in the sin. But the conflict that is in wicked men is inconstant. Now they fall out with sin, and later they fall in with sin. Now sin is bitter, later it is sweet. Now the sinner turns from his sin, and later he turns to the wallowing in sin, as a swine does to wallowing in the mire. One hour you shall have him praying against sin, as if he feared it more than hell, and the next hour you shall have him pursuing after sin, as if there were no God to punish him, no justice to damn him, no hell to torment him. Number five. The conflict that is in the saints is in the same faculties. There is the judgment against the judgment, the mind against the mind, the will against the will, the affections against the affections, that is, the regenerate part against the ungenerate part in all the parts of the soul. But now, in wicked men, the conflict is not the same faculties, but between the conscience and the will. The will of a sinner is bent strongly to such and such sins, but conscience puts in and tells the sinner, God has made me his deputy. He has given me a power to hang, to examine, scourge, judge, and condemn, 
And if you do such and such wickedness, I shall be your jailer and tormentor. I do not bear the rod nor the sword in vain, says conscience. If you sin, I shall do my office, and then your life will be a hell. And this raises a tumult in the soul. Number six. The conflict that is in the saints is a more blessed, successful, and prevailing conflict. A saint, by his conflict with sin, gains ground upon his sin. Those who are Christ's have crucified the world with its affections and lusts. Christ helps them to lead captivity captive and to set their feet upon the necks of those lusts which have formerly trampled upon their souls and their comforts. As the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker and the house of David stronger and stronger, so the Lord, by the discoveries of his love and by the influences of his spirit, causes grace, the nobler part of the saint, to grow stronger and stronger and corruption like the house of Saul, to grow weaker and weaker. But sin in a wicked heart gets ground and grows stronger and stronger, notwithstanding all his conflicts. His heart is more encouraged, emboldened, and hardened in a way of sin, as you may see in the Israelites, Pharaoh, Jehu, and Judas, who doubtless may find many strange conflicts, tumults, and issues in their souls, when God spoke such bitter things against them and did justice upon them. These two, grace and sin, are like two buckets of a well. When one is up, the other is down. When one flourishes, the other withers. The more grace thrives in the soul, the more sin dies in the soul. But remember this by way of caution. Though Christ has given sin its death wound, Yet it will die but a lingering death. As a man that is morally wounded dies by little by little, so does sin in the heart of a saint. The death of Christ on the cross was a lingering death. So the death of sin in the soul is a lingering death. Now it dies a little, and it dies a little. He would not have them utterly destroyed, but some relics preserved as a memorial. So God deals in respect of sin. It is wounded and brought down, but not wholly slain. Something is still left to keep us humble, wakeful, and watchful, and that our armor may still be kept on and our weapons always in our hand. Mortification of sin is a continued act. It is a daily dying to sin. I die daily. A crucified man will strive and struggle Yet in the eyes of the law, and in the account of all that see him, he is dead. It is just so with sin. The best men's souls in this life hang between the flesh and the spirit, as it were, between two lodestones. Like the tribe of Manasseh, half on this side of Jordan, in the land of the Amorites, and half on that side in the Holy Land. Yet in the final outcome, they shall overcome the flesh, and trample upon the necks of their spiritual enemies. The Romans lost many a battle, yet in the final outcome were conquerors in all their wars. It is just like that with us. There is no such pleasure as to have overcome a sinful pleasure. There is no such pleasure 
as to have overcome a sinful pleasure. Neither is there any greater conquest as to overcome a man's corruption. Oftentimes, Christian, we have the idea that everyone else is fighting the same battle that we are, yet as a saint of God, you're fighting a battle that one day we will win. We may be similar and somewhat to sinners, but boy are we different, because I die daily. I fight every day. It is a constant war, and to be honest with you, oftentimes I may lose a few battles. But I'm telling you, I'm excited one day when I'm going to put off this robe of flesh and I shall rise with Christ. And I don't have to worry about this flesh because I hate it. And I'm just so glad that God helps me fight this battle every single day against this flesh, this world, and the devil. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. It's time for the Christian dad joke of the episode. I know you've been missing these. Why didn't they play cards on the ark? Again, why didn't they play cards on the ark? Well, it was because Noah was always standing on the deck. Get it? Badoom ching? Haha, maybe? No? Okay. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. Welcome to this segment of Food for Thought, where we here at the Bearing Precious Seed Podcast want to give you food for your thought. My question to you is, is it wrong or is it sinful for a Christian to be cremated? For the first time in American history, a majority of Americans... 50.2% have chosen to be cremated rather than to be buried. The National Funeral Directors Association expects the trend to shift greatly towards cremation over the next 20 years. The rate that is projected by 2035 is 78.8%. So that means it's projected by 2035 that 78 out of 100 funerals will be cremations. This is something you need to have an opinion on and a scriptural fact knowledge on. What exactly is cremation? Well, cremation is the process in which intense heat is used to transform the human body back to basic elements. Most of the body, such as tissue, is vaporized, leaving only the remains of bones. The remaining bone particles are commonly referred to as cremains or ashes. Now, this is a constant question that is asked. The first mention of cre cremation in the Bible is 1 Samuel 31, where Saul and his sons are burned and their bones buried. The Philistines had cut off Saul's head, and the bodies were likely mutilated and decaying by the time that the men of Israel retrieved the remains. The consensus, though, many Christians believe, that the Bible does not directly forbid cremation, and they believe it is not a sin. The weight of Christian tradition clearly favors burial, though. The Bible nowhere explicitly condemns cremation. However, there is a divide about whether it is prudent and acceptable for Christians to choose cremation. John MacArthur, 
though we wouldn't agree 100% with him. He is a very intelligent man, though. He says, The state of what remains of the old body is unimportant, and that we need not to focus on how to dispose of our earthly bodies. MacArthur says, So cremation isn't a strange or wrong practice. It is merely accelerates the natural process of oxidation. And he gets that from Ecclesiastes 12.7. This is just something that you need to have an answer on because this is becoming more popular. If you went back maybe 50, 60 years ago, it's not very common and some would say it's sinful and wrong. But you need to know where you stand, whether you're in ministry, whether you attend a good church or whatever you do, you need to know where you stand on cremation. Now, if you ever want to know my opinion, just ask. But again, food for thought segments are not for my opinion. They are just food for your thought so you can make a decision for yourself. You're listening to the BPS Podcast. Again, from all of us here at the BPS Podcast, thank you so much for being patient. As we have been gone these last three weeks, we're so excited to pick back up where we left off, and we're excited to see what the Lord will do through this podcast. As always, we challenge you, work, for the night is coming.